You're listening to Auto D coming at you live. Which way, what, when, how? Mr. Idol D, flip the track right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on this lovely Monday evening here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, broadcasting live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios. And it's March 13th, the day my sister Celeste and I get to pretend we're the same age for a few weeks each year. You see, it was my birthday yesterday, and hers is just around the corner. So being slightly less than a year older, she likes to kind of uh, play with the fact that we're the same age. In fact, in my family, March is a big birthday month, the 6th, the 12th, the 17th, the 21st, the 26th, and then there's uh, one in April, one in May, and one in June, and they just kind of keep going. So uh, it's kind of a celebrate birthday for everybody this year. I thought I might pick a birthday song. And before I do uh, bring on this evening's guest, entertainment industry guru Terry Davies, I'd like to uh, celebrate these birthdays with a song by a little band out of England. And that was Birthday by, as I mentioned, a band out of England called The Beatles. And uh, 
besides the birthday connection to me, I guess the, the English band is a good connection to my guest this evening, who is TAD Management's CEO, Mr. Terry Davies. And Terry, how are you doing this evening? Doing great. Happy birthday. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> you, got, you made them play that song, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming in. You, you're a pretty busy guy. It seems like you're always on tour playing. Besides running TAD, you're, you perform. Yeah, I'm lucky. It's, uh, it's busy, but I like busy. Yeah, busy's good. Yeah. And uh, you've been a performer since what age? When did you start performing? You know, my first gig, I guess, paid was New Year's Eve on uh, when I was 15. So that's uh, 40, 42. A minute. Yeah, something like that. Where was that gig? <laughs> it was um, the Coach House Hotel in Marple, Cheshire, in England. I played piano in uh, this restaurant. My dad had the gig in the band, mm-hmm. so they stuck me on a piano looking over some diners. Mm-hmm. But I got paid. It was a first Fifteen one. on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Was it dad's way of keeping track of you, keeping you out of trouble, or did yeah. he need the player? I don't know, actually. I just I guess I just landed it, and I took it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, was that So that was your first paid gig? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and we're, let's, let's back up a little bit. Like, how long had you been playing music? When did you start playing? Learned, you know, very young, copying my dad playing piano. Took classical lessons, mm-hmm. 8 to 12, 13. Mm-hmm. Um, piano in the house then? Yeah, piano. My granddad bought me a piano for Christmas, um, but I think it was four or five. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a beat-up piano, but I always remember that was already all he wanted me to do was go and see granddad and say, play the piano, play the piano. What can you do? You know, <laughs> That was cool. Having the kids show off for entertainment for the family. Yeah. So yeah. what town were you born in? In Manchester. In Manchester, yeah. okay. And what was the size of Manchester then? What was, do you um, recall? Big industrial town. I think it's about three million, the population, but it's very uh, closed in, dark right. and grim. We lived in uh, old wartime housing. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, my, one of my very first, I tell people this, one of my very first memories uh, was the uh, a guy on a horse coming down the street and putting the gas lamp out when I was very, very young. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of the early memories I had. But then when I was 11, they knocked out down all those houses because they were temporary housing, basically. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to a place called Glossop, mm-hmm. which was outside of Manchester. But lived there till I was 18. So you're old enough, not old enough to have, to have any kind of memory of the, of the war, but old enough that your family was went through the war. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, any any crazy stories for the family? I mean, your parents, what they had to go through back in those days? No, you, I mean, sometimes you hear the stories, well, in my day... But yeah. the ones we remember most, what my mom and dad told was, um, I think they were six, seven, eight years of age, where they just put all the kids on a train and moved them into the countryside oh, remember, away yeah, from the parents. Hearing that, yeah. And that was it for months. They would just live out in the, because, you know, the, everywhere was being bombed. Yeah. But you, it's only from a distance you can imagine what it was like. Yeah, it really is the truth. Yeah. In fact, la- this, a couple nights ago, I, I came across a, 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 a documentary on the Holocaust that was actually made by Alfred Hitchcock oh, yeah. 70 years ago. And then it was, he was only hired to direct it uh, after it was being made by, I think, another gentleman by the name of Bernstein out of England from, from the photographers that were just discovering these tr- concentration camps. Mm. But what happened is before the movie got done, they didn't want, the government decided not to put it out. Mm-hmm. You know, politics of making nice with everybody and protecting Germany from Russia, and, you know, mm. blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they found this stuff 70 years later. And, and so they put a documentary together of the movie that didn't get made. But to go back and just watch footage of the time and, and what the war like this, how devastating, you know, throughout. Mm. And I remember reading uh, about John Lennon, you know, growing up in the bombing raids, you know, and growing up That's in those right. times, just, yeah. ins- just insanity to well, come it, out of that. It was yeah. a big part of my growing up. I think history at school was 
70% World War One and World War Two. Yeah. Because it was so devastating, right. you know, to the country. And we, even me, in my early days, we were just coming out of rationing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to, you know, it's yeah. a different world than now. That's well, sure. that's enough dark stuff for this yes. show. Let's, <laughs> let's get back to happy and music. <laughs> Phew, that was tough. But uh, so now you started playing. Anybody else? I know you mentioned your dad was a piano player, but uh, do you have any brothers and sisters? Any other musicians in the family? No, not at all. Nobody took that direction. Just mm -hmm. me, really. Mm -hmm. um, no, no reason. No, don't know why. Right. It was there. It was Sports are big. Soccer was big. You have to play a lot when you were little. I am a maniacal soccer fan. Are you? Yeah, I'm a Manchester United fan. So we just had 2,000 people log out now in the UK. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm a big, big soccer fan. But, uh, you know, played it when I was a kid, but it was really music, not sports for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. So when did you get your first band together? Did that New Year's Eve gig really set a fire under you? No, I went in the Air Force after okay. that. Yeah, I played Euphonium. I was in the Air Force band, and I did oh, yeah. that. And did it for 18 months, but it wasn't me. And then came out and had a band called Strawberry Pie, P-Y-E, and you'll okay. know the reference. Um, <laughs> And we, we gigged in England in what they call the social working men's club scene. And it was good, quite successful, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I, uh, I, I was a very good reader. So I ended up getting some pretty big gigs and landed a gig in, in Manchester called the Golden Garter, which was a, a club and played with a lot of big people, uh, Gladys Knight, Shy Lights, mm. Stylistics, ended up playing piano with all of them. And it was, ah. that was the first big, uh, oh, this is cool. Well, yeah, I was going to say, and then you learn you learn a lot dealing with all the different artists and what yeah. each of them needs or expects, and yeah. and your job to bring that show through in a sense. So, you, did you work as MD as well for the shows? Not at that time. Okay. It, just prior to that, there's a there was a scene in England called the Working Men's Club or the Social Club scene, and without exaggeration, in, in a place like Manchester, or Liverpool, or Newcastle, you'd have thousands and thousands of these little clubs that would carry. 200 people and they would go there sometimes seven nights a week mm -hmm. and so it, it was an organ bass pedals with the left foot mm -hmm. and you know two, wow. two manuals and, the, and a drummer and literally it'd have three four artists come in every night they'd come in give you the music you had two minutes to look through it jump on the organ yep. go and do it and a so, lot of the yeah. radio tours the people with one hit come in and do their one song kind yep. of jump on and off the stage yeah so was that uh, generally, how long was that gig? I mean, did you hang out at the same venue then uh, on a regular basis for a couple of years? Or? Yeah, those were, those were they called residencies, right. you know, and that's what my dad did too. Okay. Yeah. And so then uh, what next happened for you in music before you left the country? I, I, uh, out of the blue, I, someone said to me, hey, we've got a gig in Spain. You want to take it there? And I'd never been abroad. I said, yeah, let's try and do it. And uh, left this great gig. Uh, flew to Spain, got off the plane, and met my wife. The first person she didn't know at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had an inkling when I saw her, but uh, isn't that funny how that can happen? It really is. Yeah. So you met her, the first person you saw off the plane. Yeah. And was she in the show as well, or just? She was a concierge. She was moving uh, people to and from the airport and selling excursions in the hotel. Mm -hmm. I went over there as the band leader. They had a uh, five or six piece Spanish band who didn't read music and we were doing this entertainment for the Europeans. Right. So it was my job to go over there and write music and, and develop these shows. And mm -hmm. She's got a, still has a great voice and she had a great voice then but really no ex I guess the, the equivalent of maybe a karaoke singer now although she'd done a lot of entertaining. Mm -hmm. And um, and um, of course, I thought she was pretty good looking too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so what happened? I mean, you came back from Spain. Did you bring her home? No, I uh, surprised her one morning with a poster that says "You're the Show Tonight," <laughs> and I really did. Yeah, we she, we had four songs that we sung together, kind of, 
and just threw her in the deep end. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, so we did that. We ended up there three years in Spain. It was brilliant, actually. It was, cool. It was great. Yeah. So did did you guys get married during that three years when you were in Spain? I mean, was that that fast? No, that's I'm just another. diving in. I hope <laughs> this isn't too proud. No, it's a long story actually. But we didn't get married until. Uh, 14 years ago. Okay. Uh, it's 27, 28 years ago. But we were together at the time. And we moved to America. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole marriage thing, actually, ironically, was all to do with becoming a legal citizen here. Mm-hmm. I'm an American citizen now. Right. But it took years and years. And it was just really a waiting game. Had I been married, probably never been able to live here legally. Hmm. And waited for my mom to become a, a green card holder, then a citizen. And then hmm. she sponsored me. It was a whole 20-year pro- uh, process. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's a big deal. Yeah. So when did you finally get here to the States? Uh, we first came in the mid-80s. And, uh, and was that a working trip or a vacation? Or? Yeah, we had a, someone sponsored us. We came over here to do an album in L.A. We were going to be famous. We did a duo okay. album, very 80s. Cool. It failed miserably. What was the name of the group at the time? The, the, the name of the group was New Attitude, N-U, Attitude. Okay. The, I think the album's still on iTunes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's called Communicate. And it was all self, you know, self pen stuff. And um, what was the label? Do you recall? uh, Yeah, it was uh, W. I think it's W I T. Guy produced it was a guy called Robert Whites, who ironically is in the tribute game now with us. Yeah, but he, uh, brilliant sound engineer, and he was in L.A. And um, yeah, we did that, and it and it did fail. But what came from that was, and it's kind of the first, my first decision to making this a business mm-hmm. as opposed to hey I can sing and play mm-hmm. was we I, I'll never forget we were in Denny's it was like 3 o'clock in the morning and we were depressed the office of all musicians yeah, exactly <laughs> we were just depressed we thought we were going to come here to America and be famous and have a hit and it was it was over imagine the kids that are already here they're really <laughs> upset <laughs> and we just said I, you know we'd, we'd sold a fair number of singles in Seattle and we said, out of the blue, never been there. Why don't we just go to Seattle and just yeah. try and make a living making music? And we did. We uh, borrowed some money off my mom, took equipment up there, did, a, did a, uh, an audition down here. And then we were with playing in the lounges for eight years. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was just an instantaneous decision to get rid of the illusions of grandeur and not try and become famous. That right. wasn't the important thing. Right. I don't want to go digging ditches or selling pianos, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can make a living entertaining and mm-hmm. probably the best decision I ever made. So you guys were together then at that point. So yep. how big was the band in Seattle? Was it was a duo. No, oh, just the duo. We were doing so, the duo oh, okay. sequence. That makes it nice. Yeah. A lot of less personalities to deal with. Yeah. And then was that the only record that you had an opportunity to make or did you get back in the studio later? Yeah, we ended up, uh, we, we opened a studio in the UK actually when we, when we went back there in 92 and we did an album called Unconditional Love, which is a song that Anne wrote for her parents. But that was a mix of... Uh, Songs we'd written about our family, family mm-hmm. members. I wrote mm-hmm. a song for Nick when he was mm-hmm. born and stuff. And, and it was just that, really. But nothing that was released or anything like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I should, should have brought that. We could trade our, our dad songs for our kids. I'll get one yeah. of those. Uh, but, uh, so then you, you went back to England and you opened a studio. How long, how long did you run that business? Uh, let me see, 92 to 2000, so eight years. Um, we, actually, all we did was create backing tracks. This was pre-internet, pre-karaoke. Oh, yeah. And uh, do you remember the uh, Yamaha O1W? Mm-hmm. The, the, I, had, I had one of them. Right. 
bunch of rack stuff and just decided to start getting it was Ann's idea somebody needed a backing track we were broke right bought a cassette deck did a backing track got 50 pounds for it yeah. they paid for the cassette deck say yeah, yeah let's do that i remember when that was those things were popping up there was a there was a product here in the states uh, called drum drops they mm. were vinyl records of just drum beats do you remember those yep. before drum machines mm -hmm. so you could buy these records of just drums playing yeah. and you, so you put them on your four track tape machine on one track and play along you know yeah. build your own records when you didn't have a band or session guys yeah it's pretty crazy so then you were over there running that business and then when that eight years later uh, in 2000s did you come back to the states then yeah nick was born nick's an ivf baby a test tube baby ah. nick, yeah which was a pretty big deal and uh we were there six well, years then, uh, what year was that 93 93 one of the first then probably yeah he was actually the 101st born in this particular place in england yeah Cool. Yeah, it was cool. That was a big, big, big time of our life. But that would be a two-hour radio show on its own. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we went through that. And it's six years living there, although it was a big uh, decision to move from England. And what town was the studio in this time? Blackpool. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Blackpool, yeah. I think you said it. Yeah, and he, um, we, we just, we, we knew America was where we wanted to live. My mom had then, since then moved to Phoenix. Uh, mm. She was then a citizen, so she could sponsor us. And it was just, it was just the right thing to do. It was, a bit, again, one of the best decisions we made. You don't tell any of your friends back home about the weather, right? About the weather? Yeah. yeah. They all come here. It's not, it's not, it's not <laughs> sunny. It's never sunny. You know, it's just like home. And I remember we came out here from the Midwest. Uh, I was married at the time, and... You know, all your friends back in the snow still, and you, you go back to visit, and you wonder, why are people still here? And you realize, oh, they just haven't been yet, you know? Yeah. And we used to always tell people, yeah, it's just, you know, broken down, you know, horse tra trailers all along the road, you know? <laughs> I see old, old West still didn't want to promote them, getting all crowded. But uh, so then you came back to the States. Did you, when you came back, you came back to Phoenix then? Was that your first Yeah, came to, to Phoenix. Phoenix. Uh, we sold the studios back there, and... Um, we did a couple of gigs out of town, duo, duo lounge, lounge stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and then fell into a gig at Marco Polo Supper Club just down on, just uh -huh. down on Camelback. And uh, from that, we ended up opening City Hall, um, Mastro's. Okay. Okay. And we were there for two years. Right. And uh, that was fantastic, actually. It was, it was great. A lot of fun. Yeah, it was really good, and uh, got to meet a lot of people locally, and he was settled in at school. It was a good time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you got into the business of being the restaurant venue for bands, in a sense, when you opened Sky. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that experience, or what in the world motivated you to dive in? That's a big move. Pure stupidity. <laughs> that no. can motivate you. <laughs> it's motivated me. I don't know. It came from we had a good friend whose uh, wife, a very wealthy man, whose wife was... Uh, dream was to open a place mm -hmm. and i guess we always think as entertainers going into venues well we could do that better we could do this mm -hmm. and it really grooved it very very quickly from an idea on a napkin that we drew out with ray our friend to two more investors a chef and and then i found this piece of dirt in peoria that was um uh went for a great price we bought it and three later three years later were uh, it's up and running. It, see, it was really so quick, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think, in retrospect, it was it was the wrong location for longevity because it was Peoria, not Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. um, and we were, you know, we were doing forty dollars steaks and, and, yeah. and, and you know, and that kind of thing. And I remember but, it seemed for me a long drive, but now everything's kind of happening in yeah. that area. Yeah. Do you think maybe timing too? Now would have been the time to take that kind of a move out there. Or? Without without a doubt, we mm -hmm. uh, we were um, there was no freeway going past right. the restaurant at the time. Yeah, that so. loop wasn't done. And yeah, no, yeah. I mean, but um, 
That, that's the bad side. The, the good part is it was an incredible experience. Six, year, six and a half years open, three years building it, mm-hmm. nearly 10 years of my life. And uh, there's two different aspects. There's the food and beverage side, mm-hmm. and, and, and I knew nothing about that. Right. And, and quite ignorant going in, much less ignorant coming out. Um, but uh, then there was the music side. Right. Um, and I, I remember 2008 when the economy crashed, we really got kicked pretty bad. And it was that that caused the transition into bringing acts in. And from a, from a business financial point of view, instead of people coming in and spending nothing to walk in the building and then we serve them food and make the profit on that, now they're spending 20 or 30 bucks to walk in and mm-hmm. see a show. And it, it changed, you know. Mm-hmm. That side was a big profit maker. The other side, not so much. But... Um, the experience was uh, was uh, life changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the education of it. Just when you dive in like that, you know, they said it's the best way. Just you always uh, get outside of your comfort zone. And yeah, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna have some tough times or maybe make some mistakes, but you walk away from that with a whole new yeah education really and experience. Absolutely. And do um, you think you'll ever be in the restaurant business again? Not a chance. Not a chance. No. <laughs> you learned, you learned no. everything you needed to yeah. learn. I mean, the, the, you know, could a situation come up where we were not involved in the right. food and beverage and, and know a lot Strictly about Strictly entertainment side. kind of. Yeah, and, and how not, you know, the mistakes made. But it's such a difficult industry. Yeah. You know, you can have those nights where you'll, you'll make all the money and look great, but then you've got to do that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in yeah. June, July, and August. Yeah, and when it's empty and yeah. all the visitors are Tough. gone. And, um, in that particular venue, you had a small lounge and the big stage, the mm-hmm. big room. Uh, and you played regularly in the lounge, did you not? Yeah, it went through transitions, really. Uh-huh. But the Platinum Room was a showroom, right. and then Raymond's was the, right. uh, with the stage that spun mm-hmm. around. You know, mm-hmm. So Anne and I performed the lounge act in there. Mm-hmm. Again, it was to stimulate sales, mm-hmm. uh, you know, food and beverage sales in that side. And then uh, we would bring acts in, some national acts. Uh, tribute really came from, right. from that area. In the big room. Okay, how did how did that come about? Tribute. Yeah, I mean now it's now it's a huge piece of your life. Did mm. that start at Sky? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me, tell me yeah. kind of how you got into that. We were tw- two thousand and eight, really getting getting kicked pretty bad financially, and we got to bring people in. And uh, we'd been singing Abba tunes. Mamma Mia was out. Right. Um, I can't even remember whose idea it was. I know my wife would remind me right now. And, it was probably and give us her. a call, 602-494-5699. It's probably her idea anyway. But um, we just said, hey, let's put a show together. And and honestly, it really was looking back pretty bad. Uh-huh. There's a YouTube video out there where Corey McCloskey came out, <laughs> and, and it was dreadful. No costumes, and it was, it was bad. Right. But there was an it was an experience we created in that room. I don't think yet I've I've yet experienced some of the nights we had in that room. The atmosphere was right. it was a fantastic room to work. Yeah, it was a great room to enjoy a show. And I yeah. like we talked before we came on. Uh, I saw a few shows there and really enjoyed the the venue a lot. Yeah, and it was August mm-hmm. in uh, two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. and we would we were bringing 20 people in for dinner, mm-hmm. and it was dead. And all of a sudden, we've got 200 people paying $20 each mm-hmm. to watch a show. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we're not paying the act because we are the act. Yeah. It, financially, it went like this. You know? Right. So, um, yeah. It was... So now you've been doing the ABBA act. That show is still going like crazy. We've now been together longer than ABBA. 
There you go. <laughs> In fact, I saw your face or the band's poster all over Wild Horse Pass this weekend. I went down to a show, an Ovation showroom, yeah. great showroom, which, by the way, you've put my John Lennon show yes. in a couple times, which is it's a great facility to play. And I love that theater. And, and uh, I hadn't sat in the balcony to watch a show yet mm-hmm. before. And uh, it was a lot of fun yeah. uh, to see the show there. And uh, Abba Fab is all over the, the, yeah. the billboards, you know, on posters. It's Sunday. So that's exciting. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, that's, and that's a great theater. Now, as far as the, we're kind of, we're kind of jumping through everything really, really fast. And I want to get into, um, uh, well, before we get into Tad and, and what you're doing now and some of the things that are going on, I want to talk if, if I could about some of the maybe, uh, shows that you put on at Sky, some of the groups you brought in or something that might be most memorable f- for you there. But before I put you on the spot with it, yeah. I'll give you three minutes to think of an answer cool. and uh, take a drink of water. I'm going to play a song. Uh, from your past, uh, take a song that you told me uh, was one of the first tunes that you really remembered as a kid that kind of caught your ear. And I want to play uh, Venus in Blue Jeans. Can you tell me about that record or remembering that record? Well, it's the one my mom and dad says, uh, this is the one. I, and I do remember it as being mm-hmm. back then. And before my mom, my mom passed away three years ago, that song comes on the radio. Oh, that's my baby boy. You know? <laughs> so it's really the very earliest memory. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I believe his name was uh, Jimmy Clanton on that single. Is that the one you recall? Because there was also a Frankie Valley. I think, maybe you know, cut it, a copy. Back then, and you probably know, um, a lot of uh, U.S. singles were recorded by completely different ah. artists in the U.K. And right. so we remember. I actually UK can't remember who maybe. that was. Yeah. All right. Well, this one was Jimmy Clanton when I dug it up. Yeah. And I didn't remember him by name. But it, you, you can tell the record. You remember the sound of the record. Yeah. So here it is. Venus in Blue Jeans on the Auto D Show. Thank you. 
You're listening to ROD, coming at you live. And that was Venus in Blue Jeans by Jimmy Clanton here on the Auto D Show, where my guest this evening is Mr. Terry Davies. And Terry, it's uh, been fun to kind of catch some of the background how you're growing up in England and moving to the States. And I love the bit about meeting your wife and knowing right away. I did that. I met this woman. Yeah. And I told my friends within minutes, I think I met my next wife. It didn't turn out that way. <laughs> you know, but it's like, it's amazing when it hits you like that and, and you just know. Well, we were friends yeah. for a year. She was engaged to somebody else. Uh, I mean, she was introducing me to her friends for a right. year, you know. Right. But uh, I don't know. I, it just it, one day out of the blue, I leaned over. She was working. They were split up by then. Mm-hmm. And I just said, hey, I'm going to marry you one day. And she thought I was losing the plot. Mm-hmm. I got drunk, you know. Yeah, it's right out of the movies. Um, well, so before we played that tune, I mentioned uh, wanting to maybe hear a couple stories about some of the cool shows that happened at Sky while it was open. I'm sure you've, you have to have just a bunch of great memories from yeah. some of those shows. So many. We had uh, Denny Lane and uh, Joey Molland uh, yeah. uh, from Paul McCartney and Wings yeah. and, uh, Bad yeah, and Bad Finger fame, yeah. Yeah. Such a great show. They, it was called the Abbey Road Live. They did the whole album, and then in the middle, they'd do the hit. So mm-hmm. uh, four Bad Finger hits, and then uh, Denny did... Uh, Go now and so on. In fact, there's a cool story. The um, the general manager there was a little giddy and a guitarist, and um, I was in the other room. Can't remember the situation, but there was sound checking. And he come running in, running into Terry. Terry, come here, come here. This sounds just like the original. <laughs> yeah, well, because it is, you know. That's funny. <laughs> but that was a great show. Then he didn't know any of the words, but. Uh, they came twice, actually. It was such a good good vibe that night. Well, it just has to be a fun hang. I actually got to meet Joey once and just to hang out and talk uh, yeah. in the old days. He was, he, he was touring as Badfinger. They came through Phoenix a couple times. Yeah. Uh, maybe even played with, at your venue the same trips. But uh, they were playing like a biker thing, you know, doing mm-hmm. different things. But Joey still sounded like Badfinger, man. You know, he was still the guy in the stories. To, it's fun to sit and just hear all oh, the yeah. stories of these guys. Yeah, it's great. I still talk to Denny from time to time Do now, you? yeah. Well, how about another show? What's another one? Uh, Andrew Strong of The Commitments. Mm. Probably oh, yeah. the most rocking night we ever had in there. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. Jack Jones. Uh, Jack Jones. Uh, I'll try and make the story short. Oh, don't. <laughs> We were stood on the dirt. I mean, we're here talking. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We were stood on the dirt, and Anne said to me, if you could bring one person out here and perform, uh-huh. no building, no, even no idea we were going to do shows in there. Right. She said, who would it be? And I said, well, it would probably be Jack Jones. Oh, interesting. Because when I was 9, 10, 11, and my, my dad bought me tickets to a concert, I thought we were going to see Jerry and the Pacemakers. Ah. And we ended up seeing Jack Jones, and I thought it was this old fart on there singing these songs, but it changed me musically, and my mom was a big fan and so interesting. on. Interesting. And so flip forward uh, to um, 2009, I think, we ended up convincing Jack to come and do four shows at Sky. And it was unbelievable. For, uh, over Mother's Day weekend, um, the first night, the whole uh, Mastro family was in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, it was an amazing weekend and a, the pinnacle for me. Yeah. And on Mother's Day, um, my mom was coming in. She had a, a little Jack Jones uh, record, you know. <laughs> Frame the side. And I asked Jack if, he, if she could meet him after the show. I said, absolutely, let's do that. And I'm just about to go on stage to introduce him. And he said, Terry, what's your mom's name again? I said, it's Pauline. He said, okay. And when Jack entered the stage, he was always come from the back of the audience and walk through, go to the stage and sing. Right. Music started. He walked through, did not sing. Said, Pauline, where's Pauline? 
Where's Pauline? <laughs> Found her table, sat down, and uh, sung the entire first song to my mom. Oh and she cried goodness. through the whole thing. Oh, that's awesome. Me- amazing story. memory. Yeah. That is a great story. And I know uh, one, of the venues, one of the events I saw at Sky was uh, the, when they were showing the movie of The Wrecking Crew, yeah. which was a, just a wonderful film to see. And yeah. It was a packed house that night, too. My mm-hmm. goodness, it was crowded. Yeah. It was a fun, fun venue. So what year did that finally close? Uh, 2000 and... I've got to get this right. Everyone all... Get close. You know, no one's going to check your facts here. We're not running for office. <laughs> I think it was 2012. <laughs> close enough. 2013. Well, then uh, you went from that... Uh, and I don't know how directly you went into uh, TAD management and handling this this large cast of uh, tribute acts, but how, well, how did you make that transition? I know it's difficult closing a business and getting out, especially if you're not going to go into the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I've kind of been through that in my own world with, with the recording business industry, but tell me how you kind of made that switch and what motivated you to. There's two things. We had a... Uh uh, we obviously, by that time, had three or four shows that we produced ourselves, but we'd booked maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 different tribute mm-hmm. acts as well as the nationals. At that point, at that point, at Sky, you were already running 30 different acts. Yeah, many them. of them. Yeah, we did, I think we did it for three or four years every weekend. So, so I already was kind of already doing it, but mm-hmm. not ex- externally. And so I'll you were let, only running him at Sky. You weren't booking any place else. No, no, right. no. And then uh, I think we may have done a couple of venues here and there, but it was very much uh, just intermittent stuff. But I'll, I'll never forget Jason Robinson from Wild Horse Pass. Um, I connected asked, and said, I want to come to the restaurant and brought his wife for Valentine's Day. And it was uh, Abafab. Mm-hmm. And um, he was booking Wild Horse Pass. And he came in. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, that was great. That was it. And about a year later, when we finished, we just said, you know, I'm going to call Jason. Maybe we can do a gig at Wild Horse Pass. We've got a good following at Sky. And he was he was all over it. He said, yeah, let's try it. And we had no no clue what, what to expect. And we put 1,300 people in there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, my, what's this? You know? And that, alongside, I think, we had called Idol in the Sky, which was a talent show we did every year, mm-hmm. which was phenomenal experience. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when we closed, we moved it to a church, um, but things just started rolling, rolling. We had this success at Wild Horse Pass. We had a casino in Tucson. Mm-hmm. And um, it just says, you know, I'm going to try and do this. Always said I wouldn't be an agent, but, you know, this just never feels, say just I'll feels, never. I know. I said I'd never build a recording <laughs> studio, and that's it. I did it, you know. So you became an agent. Yeah. And you started booking a lot of those same groups, but all of a sudden at multiple places. Is that, did you start to use that same stable of acts? Or? We did. And um, uh, it just started to develop. The, the business grew quickly at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just recently, just it's just growing like crazy. But um, for me, it was understanding. Sky taught me that uh, the venue, the, the person paying the bill mm-hmm. is very important. As an artist... I never thought that I was I was the important one. Right. I'm the one with the talent. Right. And it's not true. Right. It, of course, it's very important. But um, the, the guy that's paying, the venue that's paying, uh, it's a very important part of the triangle, you know. Uh, and so because of that, I use that when I deal with the venues, understanding that it's very important to make sure that their experience is so good. Right. They're going to want you back. Yeah. So long as they're okay, you've always got a gig. Mm-hmm. And uh, just use that philosophy, and uh, and here we are. It's well, it's interesting. Most artists probably don't have a connection to that no, concept at all. I didn't, because yeah. they are just concerned about themselves, and they have to be. They're going to try and do a show. They're trying to focus yeah. on themselves. 
but uh, I think being in business gives you gives you a whole other perspective. Yeah, the business side of show business is different, but it's not. I I, don't, I personally don't think it's ugly. I had right. that opinion as an artist, right. but I really don't. I think there's a way for it to be. Well, it can be ugly. You know? yeah. I mean, there's ugly people doing ugly yeah. things, but you tend to not work with them again. That's you know? right. Yeah. And so it can be good. Um, and a friend of mine once said, that's why they call it the show business. If you don't do the business, there won't be any show. That's right. Yeah. And when you perform as a performer, uh, when you come across a venue that is a quality venue, that's staffed well, they handle things right, things go off without a hitch, you're like, you know, I'd play here for half the money. This mm-hmm. is, it's a dream to, mm-hmm. to, to work with you in this venue. So I think uh, that's another thing, too. And then it makes it easier for the venue to have a good, to have a good time with mm-hmm. the artist where they don't have all these issues. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So you've been on both sides of the fence. And so now that you rep acts, uh, have you, do you ever have to deal with problem acts? Like oh. you hear from a venue, some bands giving them a bunch of crap because they're... Yeah, all the time, yeah. Do you have to deal with all that? It's kind of a pain. I try, sometimes I try to put on a different hat. Because mm-hmm. um, acts that I'd never worked with before only know me as the agent. Right. Um, some acts only know me as the act. And, right. You know, but sometimes you have to throw that other, especially when they're being divas. We have T-shirts at Tad. We don't do diva. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's it's about respect, you yeah. know. And um, don't go on stage drunk. Yeah. Um, you know, don't drink before you go on stage. Right. And there's so many other common sense things. So. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, we deal with it all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't tolerate it, to be honest. But that's on both sides of the fence. Internally sure. too, we treat the people, uh, the the artists, and the venues like we would want to be treated ourselves. Sure, you know. that's the only way it works. It's for not long difficult, term. you know. Yeah. Well, now the, you mentioned that uh, the company has grown, uh, kind of picked up again, gangbusters. Is that because of the uh, cruise work now that's going on? Yeah, partially. Um, it's it's a little bit of everything. I like to think it's because of the way we do things, the quality mm-hmm. of the product, you know. Right. Um, but um, yeah, we've in uh, let me think, it's four and a half years, so we've now got offices in London, New York, Fort Lauderdale, and Sun City. We're mm-hmm. looking at Bangkok because of the Chinese uh, Asian cruise market, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, here, uh, it's quite funny. We've got offices all over the world, and our headquarters are in Sun City, Arizona. So. <laughs> but that's okay. We love it here. That's and, beautiful uh, here. No, it is. And, um, yeah, well, it's just that the growth has been – we picked up a, a company that we uh, merged with and, and now run um, out of New York. Um, and we have about 130 acts on the cruise ships, mm-hmm. um, all the major liners. And um, – and that's been growing too. We're experiencing uh, this year has been really quick growth, and we're frankly trying to keep up with that. Mm-hmm. It's important for us to keep the product very high mm-hmm. and the level of service too, because that's the other side of the coin. Sure. Now. How many venues would you say you service? Well, we do over 120 exclusively, or just about exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on land, mm-hmm. um, but probably a couple of hundred, I would say. Um, and then uh, all, all the major cruise lines, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long have you had your UK office? Uh, not long. Last summer we opened it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How's that going? Um, uh, it's slow. It's slow. It's different. UK is different. It's ironic, really. All my business dealings have been in the States mm-hmm. um, most of my life. So I'm not very savvy to the business mm. way of doing things. But I have this accent. So at least you can knock down the door, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, you're one of us till you, start, till you don't know how it goes. <laughs> Uh, well, well, I imagine you're learning a little bit again too. Then, in that in that sense, do you have a do you have a partner who's kind of uh, in the business there, or just agents who are repping the acts? We had a partner over there. Um, it, it's uh, 
it's not working out right now, but I think it will in the long term. Right. Um, so we have some partners that we're working with, mm-hmm. uh, but effectively we're working, we're, we're operating it from mm-hmm. here. Again. So who do I have to call in, in the London office to get my Lennon show into England? We, we, I, I, would, there was, I would love to get you in the cavern, just for the love, experience. Oh, I'd love to play there. I think it would be, it'd be fun. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people freak out when I put the wig on, so it's like uh, I just got to get over there where it matters, you know. Have you, have you seen the Beatles weekend they do in, in, in Liverpool? Um, I'm familiar with it. I haven't been. Actually, I've never been to England. I've been to Ireland, but I haven't been to England. It, it's amazing. I, I mean, if we get the chance ever that we're there, we're playing, actually. We've got a dream gig for us, ironically. Yeah. In yeah. Blackpool in England. We've, never, we've only ever played, and we're playing there on June the 25th. This is Nick and I awesome. doing the Piano Man. It's going to be and, fun. Yeah. So it's exciting. Hey, now, how's the food back in England? Everyone always said you can't eat there, but I hear it's getting better. Is that all a bunch of crap is the food great i think the food is magnificent but good 90 percent of the people around the world would argue with me <laughs> but <laughs> well, i nick, grew up nick gave it. us a thumbs up he's a young guy you should you know you should yeah. have a sense of it it's curry curry i believe is the national food now ah yeah well there you go so uh, what's the next gig that you have coming up i guess this sunday's did you say um is the abba fab yes yeah, saturday night we're saturday. in prescott nick and i are doing the piano men uh, oh, okay uh, at uh, in prescott the elks theater we put all the shows in there, which mm-hmm. is great. And then mm-hmm. uh, Abba Fab at Wild Horse Pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how often are you and Nick doing the Piano Man show? How busy is that? Um, this season, lot we probably, I'm going to guess, 30 land dates a year. And uh, we're doing this one gig in the UK, looking at some crew stuff as well. And so. when you're doing those shows, is that uh, a full band with you? Or are you have using background tracks and the two of you are playing? Or what are you, how full, are you doing that? Full band. Okay. Yeah, we have a seven-piece and just a real kicking band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same thing with the Abafab show? Yeah. One of the things we did with Tad, just going mm-hmm. trip back to Tad, is we, we set a precedent years ago where creatively we said we're not going to have track shows mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to have a live band. Even if it was just a drummer and a bass player, mm-hmm. um, we just felt that uh, we do a lot of over 55 resorts, so we'll have two, three, four hundred people spending 20 bucks a ticket coming down here for three months a year. Mm-hmm. You can't put a guy singing with tracks on and expect that to be good enough. It's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, put a band on, give them a show, and uh, and so we set that precedent, and we're not changing that. Mm-hmm. Live, you know, keep it live and all that. Well, and as a player, have you ever played with tracks? Have you ever dealt with that? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, tracks can give you an element of size that maybe you don't have mm-hmm. with with five people or six people, but. Playing with just the band live is just a hundred percent more fun. It's just got soul and heart, you know, yeah. and you don't have it with it. And it has an, an unpredictability, even in little things where a cue comes to you differently than it normally does, mm-hmm. and it changes the delivery of your next line as you make sure everything's all good. And it's amazing the life that's in it when it's not tracked. Yeah, no, absolutely. Know? And I think yeah. that translates. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of tracks, what do you say we spin another song from your past? It's like you know, what's your line? Uh, you mentioned another record to me, and I wanted you to tell me kind of what this record meant to you, and that was Homely Girl by the Chai Lights. And obviously you said you already played with them, so that yeah. had to be kind of special. That was part of it. It was uh, in my teenage years, I went from loving Slade and Wizard, which were two glam rock bands in the uh-huh. UK, to getting into the sound of Philadelphia. And so it was Stylistics and, and the Chai Lights. And so when I played at the Garter and played with all these with Gladys Knight and, and Stylistics and Chai Lights, this is the song I remember. Just, you know, love it. Love the song. And this is a Homely Girl by the Chai Lights here on the Auto D Show.
And that was Homely Girl from the Chai Lights here on the Auto D Show, where my guest this evening is Mr. Terry Davies. And Terry, uh, I wanted to uh, mention Manchester. I, I, I've been working on a uh, romantic comedy film that I screenplay that I wrote, and we did the short, but we're about to, to work on the feature. And there's a scene where this uh, gentleman is at a bar running into my main character, and he's watching a, a match, you yeah. know, a soccer match. And so that's part of what's going on. Uh, and I picked the two teams 
by going on and Googling team shows. So I have a Manchester team and another team, but I hadn't picked who won the game. So if you'd like, you know. Oh, it's Manchester United. I'll make sure that they win in the movie. You <laughs> That's <know>? great, thanks. <laughs> just, so, just so you know. Uh, so, but what was the music scene like back there? Or what is it like these days? I mean, I have no clue. I, I think, frankly, I'm probably out of touch with it these days. Right. But um, um, there's, a, there's a big Liverpool-Manchester rivalry in everything, in mm-hmm. football, in ah. geography, and music, you know. Of course, Liverpool. I was going to say, that's a know. tough rivalry to win now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with the Beatles, but all the other stuff, with the swinging blue jeans and the Mersey Beats, and, mm-hmm. and so many of them. But uh, Manchester um, had 10cc mm-hmm. and the Hollies oh, okay. uh, from back then, and there was a recording studio called Strawberry Studios, which um, was in Stockport, just outside of Manchester. That's where 10CC were based. And so I, I, I don't know if you know much about 10CC. I remember the band and some of the hit songs. Yeah, well, they, um, they've had such an impact. It's, it's interesting uh, research, too, on the music industry overall, overall for 50 years. Graham Goldman was a player there. He wrote, I think he had 30 number one hits in the 60s with bands like the Hollies and so on. Uh, and uh, Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders, mm-hmm. and then they come together, and 10CC was really two different entities. Uh, it was uh, Kevin Godley and Lol Cream, who went on to do the gizmo, and Lol Cream went on to do all the major videos on VH1, mm. and still does. And so this band was this eclectic, uh, and you can hear it in the songs. Any 10CC song has got half of it, which is this British pop thing from the 70s, and then it goes off into this... Who knows what it is, but they come together. It's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my... Uh, and it's funny because another side note is Neil Sedaka, when he came back um, to record, he went met Elton John and did that whole mm-hmm. thing. He went to Strawberry Studios, and his backing band on that first album was 10CC in mm-hmm. the 70s. Isn't that awesome? Cool stuff, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, where, was, where were the Moody Blues from? Moody Blues from Birmingham. Okay. Yeah, that's in kind of Midlands, about 90 miles south. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a band out of England that, that I've been enjoying over the, the last number of years. They're kind of a heavy heavy rock band called Porcupine Tree. Are you familiar with those guys? No, no. And, and to me, it's like um, they sound like they're, they're older guys, meaning they're probably 10 to 15 years younger than me. They're older guys. And um, they remind me of modern heavy metal meets the Moody Blues kind of. So mm. it's... It's really interesting, thick keyboard patches and airy, vibey things with a really cool classic vocal style cool. with some really heavy guitars in the yeah. style of today's rock. Um, Porcupine Tree. You might want to check them out, Nick. See what you think. But um, what's, uh, what else is going on or what's coming up? We know about the shows. Um, are you looking for new talent for bands to, to contact you? Yeah, well, not. I mean, we do. Uh, we're always looking for talent, uh, especially young talent. Mm-hmm. Um, Strictly in the tribute vein, right? You're not really no. looking to rap other things? Or? No, we are. Actually, Actually, we're taking a little steer, not a steer away from tribute, but uh, especially in the cruise industry. You know, we have kind of two sides of what mm-hmm. we do here. We're starting to develop groups um, that are not tribute. They may be cover. So, for example, we've got, we got a band called Vox Fatura, who are four guys who sing tenor stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but just just so powerful and, and good, but young and good looking. Mm-hmm. And just um, just trying to, you know, move it a little bit around. But we're always looking for great talent who are willing to come without the attitude. Yeah. Say, hey, you know, I want to learn. I want to learn this industry. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we... Well, I imagine different venues want different things. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, I mean, there are, there are, there's a place for the tribute acts, but I would even imagine that the cruise demand is different than the land demand from style of show. Yeah, it is. It's, a lot of it's um, politics, not negative, but um, is, is 
getting trying to understand what it is the buyers want right. and how that relates to their audience and, mm-hmm. and is it the right thing because right. ultimately when we put these acts in we've got to be certain that both the buyer and the audience are going to actually sure. like this thing sure and that's supposed to be our job well you know you mentioned the triangle and and the venue being something that the artists seem to not really be aware of a lot of times but it's it's I think one of the biggest things artists don't realize is that the show, that they're only a piece of the show. Mm. And even in the, in the record business, it's kind of like, you might think it's all about you on that record, but the truth is, when you get the record company, the producer, the studio, the marketing people, and the distribution in place, it doesn't matter who's on the record. Yeah. Put somebody on a record now, because the machine is built and we're ready to put a record out. Mm. They're a small piece of that. Yeah. of the process, but they picture themselves as 99% of the process. Yeah. You know? And I think that a lot of bands performing out, it's the same kind of thing. They really don't understand. They're actually the small, really the smallest piece. Once yeah. the venue is built and the machine is built to book and manage, and then the, the people that run the facility, I mean, all of that stuff is a huge piece. Now any band can come now. It'll work. You mm. know? And, yeah. and they don't see, the bands don't see themselves as that smaller and, piece. And I think it's not that they're unimportant. Right. Oh, um, I agree. It's that the stuff around them is important. Important, it's know, a, is, there's yeah. a lot going yeah. on, yeah. and I think a lot of artists don't respect that. You have to, they have to come to learn it. So if people want to check you out online, where do they find you, Terry? Tadshows.com. And that's T-A-D-shows.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And um, Facebook? Yeah, Instagram, we're all over Facebook. All over the place. Yeah, we have all, you know, some of our major shows like December 63 and Abafab, they have a whole glut of following on there we do facebook live which i'm kind of addicted to so we have a oh, lot of people you? yeah I've seen, I've seen some of those yeah i haven't done any of that yet yeah i'm pretty addicted to you it you like that yeah. huh yeah, <laughs> that's cool but I, it's it's fun it's i love social networking i uh I'm a big fan of it um, for, for two reasons. One is the business aspect. People can see what we're doing. It's so easy to get it out there. Mm-hmm. But I'm in touch. Here's a cool one. I don't think we've got time for this. We're yeah. doing Blackpool. Mm-hmm. And um, my mini school reunion is now happening at the theater, right. not in some pub in Glossop, which is cool. Awesome. It wouldn't have happened without Facebook. You know? Yeah. That's yeah, cool. That's very, very cool. I know a lot of people find you. You know, you haven't talked to him forever, and so that's kind of fun. And because of the radio show, actually, I have I have Facebook friends all over the world. I don't even I've mm. never met. I don't even know who they are. And you'll get a happy birthday or something, and it's like, oh, interesting, you know. <laughs> and uh, so that that is kind of fun. So when are you gonna when when are you going back to the UK? Yeah, uh, May eighth, where we jump on a ship. Um, we're, we're performing on Disney in Holland, America. On the so. way over, kind of? So we're, we're working uh, with Disney over here, then we're flying to Stockholm and jumping on a Holland, America ship on May the 8th. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. And the Cavern show is in June? June, yeah, day after the okay. Blackpool show. So if there's still time to put an opening act on great, there, I'd love to. I'd love to put on my wig and be in the Cavern. That'd be awesome. Well, Terry, thanks so much for coming in and spending some time with me. Pleasure. It was, it was fun. Yeah, and... Uh, if anybody's listening uh, or wants to tell their friends about it, it'll be posted tomorrow with the same link and available on iTunes for a download as well. So uh, good luck with everything that's coming up. Thanks a lot, bud. Take care. Thanks.